Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey gang, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know last year I went all in on saddle hunting, and all my saddle gear comes from Tethered. And I wanted to tell you how I made my decision to use Tethered, as I didn't just haphazardly put my faith in their gear. If you know anything about me, I, I kind of go through a painful process of researching things before I kind of take the plunge. And that was the exact case uh, here whenever I was thinking about moving into saddle hunting. So first, for me, weight mattered. Um, the saddle, you know, the Tethered saddle is the lightest around. It weighs in at a whopping 15 ounces. There's also the other benefits of being able to hide behind trees away from deer, you know, being able to get into trees in and out of, you know, areas, super quiet and super stealthy. And I go through all those benefits with Greg uh, from Tethered and Podcast 102. So if you haven't listened to that, you might want to check that out. Uh, second, they thought through literally everything and the full package and accessories uh, of for saddle options from years of being DIY saddle hunters themselves. So whether it's platforms, ropes, they just know what will work from years of testing and years of uh, hunting out of saddles. And most importantly, they're here to help. Um, there's a bunch of ways to get into saddle hunting that are somewhat unknown if you've never tried it. And this was the case with me last year as I didn't know anybody who saddle hunted it and didn't have anyone near me to try a saddle and kind of see if it was something that was a good option for me. Uh, so this was me specifically last year. And Tether can help with this from everything from choosing the right size saddle to how you place your feet uh, for different shooting op or shooting scenarios while you're in the saddle and different climbing options. You name it, they can help. If you're interested in getting into saddle hunting or want to learn more, go to tetherednation.com. That's T-E-T-H-R-D-N-A-T-I-O-N.com and follow them on YouTube. Hello and welcome to the Truth From the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 135. Today we're diving into another DIY report look back series with my buddy, the bow hunting fiend. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is going on, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well out there. Hope you're getting a chance to enjoy a little bit of this nice weather that we're finally having here that feels like fall might actually be be right around the corner. I can do with this, you know, in the mid-70s versus the 94-degree sweltering heat with uh, with humidity. So good weekend to get out into the woods, <clears throat> finish up any, you know, food plots or anything that you have going on because the weather is, is being kind to you. For me, there wasn't a whole lot of... Uh, Deer work again this this past week a little you know the the typical shooting my bow making sure I'm staying staying on on top of that but I did manage to get out and check two cameras this past weekend I kind of broke my own cardinal rule which you know you heard uh, Greg and I talk about on this look back series which is just trying to stay off your cameras as much as possible you know and if you're going to go in um, make sure you're doing it with some rain in the forecast or even on a rainy day but I have two pieces where I have yet to pull a camera one of them is brand new to me. 
and uh, I have no idea what's what's there. It's a closed piece to the house, and uh, I, I needed to get out and just and, and check them just so I know what what's going on in those pieces. Because the truth of the matter is, is next weekend I'm not, or this coming weekend I, I I'm not free. I have a I have some traveling to do for some family stuff. And so then the following weekend would be the first weekend that I would have again to get back out the timber. So that would be what, like the, I want to say it's like the, maybe the 10th of September. I don't have a calendar in front of me. I can't remember exactly what the, what the date would be, but it's getting really close then at that point to, let me look here. Oh, it would be the, the 7th, I guess of September. And at that point I'm getting a little uncomfortable as to how close I'd be getting to the season opening. Cause for me on these pieces, particularly the season opens on September 21st. Um, and so I'd like to have a little bit more than a two week buffer on these pieces without me traipsing around in there. So I had to just kind of make a, uh, make a, make a quick decision as to whether or not I was going to jump in, check cameras. And I, and I decided, you know, there is some rain midweek, um, in that it was probably better for me to go check now than check later. And so I hopped in there and, and gave him a check, which I'm glad I did. The one piece that's closest to the house, there's not anything really to speak of on the camera. A lot of deer activity cameras in a great spot. There's like a little you know, a little corridor essentially of, of path of least resistance travel around the edge of this other swamp that I, that I found. Um, and it seems that that is kind of like the highway for these deer. Um, so got a lot of deer pictures, some bucks on there, but just, there weren't really any, any mature bucks, nothing really to write home about or to speak of. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll be a spot that I'm able to jump into in the mornings before work. It's really, really close to where I live. Um, so probably be able to fill some doe tags there and, and who knows, you know, I'll keep kind of watching the camera as a, as I'm hunting that area and see if there's any, you know, any biggins that happen to show up. And then I made my move into the swamp because I wanted to hang one more camera in the swamp and I had a camera in there that I needed to check and, uh, to validate that, you know, one of the big deer from last year has, has returned. And, uh, I got in there to check it. And, uh, unfortunately I, I had hung the camera in a spot where I got, um, a lot of, uh, false triggers because of the leaves moving. Um, so that was kind of disappointing. The batteries were dead. Um, I got about 7,000 some odd pictures of blowing leaves. It did manage to catch like a deer or two as it happened to pass through as the camera triggered. Um, so that was my bad. So I ended up pulling that camera, you know, and then removing or moving that camera to a different location to where I'm hopefully not going to get, um, you know, get, get those false triggers. So it was a little bit of a disappointing card pool. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, it is, it is what it is. I, the thing is with that spot, I don't know that I necessarily need the inventory to know that there's deer there. Um, just because I know from, from last year that they, they do like to, to hang in this spot. It was more, um, validating which deer were actually going to be there and, and, and what their kind of, you know, summer pattern was, if you will, because since I'm able to hunt them, you know, in this spot specifically earlier, um, you know, or mid midish September, I can still kind of capitalize on a bed to food pattern. And I hung cameras in there late last year. So I didn't really get a good sense of what any of the patterns were. Um, I just knew that there were good deer in there. Um, so this year, my hope was just to actually get cameras in earlier so I could start to maybe pick up on, on some type of pattern. Cause I know I'm close to their bedding. I'm just not sure exactly what time they're getting in and out of there. Um, so I hung another camera in there. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we have better luck with this, uh, with this pool, but I probably won't check it until I hunt it for the first time. And, uh, you know, that'll be based on whenever I get the right wind. So with that, uh, I'm not going to belabor this upfront a whole lot. We've got a really cool show for you today. We're doing uh, another session of the Look Back series with my buddy uh, Greg Litzinger, uh, the bow hunting fiend. This has been, you know, a lot of you folks have have messaged me on social or whatever, and, and have been really enjoying this uh, this DIY report mini series. I've enjoyed putting it together. We're going to have some coming out throughout the the course of the year. Um, it might be a few weeks before we get another one, uh, another couple sessions pulled together. Um, but this session is actually we're we're talking a lot with. I think the entire session uh, that we do a look back with is uh, Aaron Warburton. Uh, of course, Aaron's from the hunting public prior to that, you know, I think when I did this podcast with him, he was still working with, uh, Bill Winky at Midwest Whitetail. He and Zach were still there. Um, so this was maybe pre hunting public and, and it was right before I think they made the move into the hunting public. So, uh, but we talk about a lot of stuff. This is really, you know, what we were focusing on was um, was was public land, of course, um, and we're really kind of talking about in this in this session specifically how how he goes about scouting public land. You know, 
when when he's killing deer and you might say well that's kind of a silly you know silly thing to talk about because it happens in october november but the reality is that he goes into some details and we and, and then greg and i kind of dissect the idea of like you're really killing your deer you know in you know february march you know or you know january february march when you do your postseason scouting um is really when you're putting the puzzle pieces together and, and doing all your learnings to kill your deer in october october and november and so aaron talks a little bit about that and then um greg and i kind of discuss it as well and then we also talk a little bit about mapping you know those guys you know aaron and those guys jump around on so many different pieces of property um you know whether it's you know them hunting in in iowa or when they're doing their deer tour nowadays um you know they're going to a lot of new pieces and so they're having to rely heavily on on maps um to kind of you know i guess uh decrease the size of the property that they're going to have to try to scout because they're walking into some pretty large pieces um and so we talk a little bit about how they're using maps and then of course i think the one thing that they do really really well and uh, you know is it, it would be akin to you know maybe say you know uh Dan Enfold or the the Quistos is you know they do a really good job of hunting hot sign you know they're 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 really good at not um, I don't want to say overthinking or outthinking themselves but they walk into an area and they find good sign it's like they're not they're not bashful about setting up on it it's, you know even if they had a goal of getting to you know further back into the piece or something like that it's like if they run across hot sign that looks good they'll set up and hunt it um, and so we talk a little bit about that as well so without further ado we're going to go ahead and get this session kicked off and thank you all for listening all right this next segment is with our buddy aaron warbritton from the hunting public i'm sure all you out there know of him uh what he's talking about here is a little bit what we've touched on in the past which is kind of how he's hunting public land specifically how he's getting on deer in public land um, when he's killing them, quote unquote, and how he's using uh, cameras to kind of as a tool to assist him in that. So let's listen to the segment and we will discuss. Really, when uh, when we're killing those deer, I mean, we're, we're killing bucks on public in October and November and December, but uh, that's when we're shooting them, I like to say. When we're actually killing right. them is in the late winter, um, spring, and early summer. That's when we're out there figuring them out. And, and the best way to to pattern a, a buck on public land is almost a year after the fact. So what I like to do on, on public land, instead of running a bunch of trail cameras and constantly checking them and trying to keep tabs on a specific buck, we'll, we'll set up cameras in areas out there and, and hope that they don't get stolen. Unfortunately, some of them do, right. even if we lock them to the trees, that's just going to happen out there. Um, and there's some things you can do to prevent that, but, but uh, I can get into that later. What we do with our cameras is we'll run them, deep in a bedding area way back in somewhere for the entire season and we won't we won't even pull them until after we're done hunting and then we'll take that intel from that year maybe there's a couple bucks on there showing up doing a certain thing and then we'll go in there and scout that property really hard during the off season in the winter shed season and then in in the spring looking for bedding areas looking for travel routes trying to figure out where that buck was living what he was doing when he was on those cameras. And then we can come back in the next year if by chance he survives and we pick him up in the summer or early season on the camera, we already have a decent idea of uh, what he'd done the year prior. And as you follow him, you know, um, year to year, and as they mature up to four, five, and six years old, you're able to sort of connect all those dots from uh, the years prior. So, off-season scouting and really year-round scouting on public is the number one thing. All right. So that was Aaron talking about his or their. I guess the, I guess it's more the hunting public approach. Yeah. You know, at this the time, method. whenever the, their method, the HP yeah. method. When I spoke with him at this time, the HP wasn't around yet. This is when they were yeah. still working with Midwest. You oh, know, that's OG with, with Bill Winky. Um, but Aaron at that time was still doing. They were still doing a lot of public land land hunting when they weren't yeah. when they weren't filming um but this is something that we touched on a little bit ago and i think it's Im- important you know it's I, I think when you talk to you know i forget who it was that i was just listening to and they were talking about this and they were talking to them about killing mature deer and killing big deer and essentially what they were saying is is that if you're trying to kill a big deer right now you've already lost yeah you know unless you get lucky i mean you can get lucky you can get on a deer that you get on like a bed to, <laughs> wrong guy for that one yeah I know, right <laughs> some people can get yeah, lucky talk yeah. to the wrong dude <laughs> yeah, some people can get lucky right um i'm on know. that six-year luck plan you know yeah. 
you know, but you, you, maybe you find a deer during the, maybe your season comes in early enough and you find a good deer that's coming, that's on a steady bed to food pattern and you can catch him, you know, super early in the season and, and capitalize on it. But that's at least the folks that I know, the guys that I know and hunt with, like that's few and far between. Um, what more so the guys that I know, like Greg and, you know, the HP guys, my buddy, you know, Chad, some of these guys, it's all about killing that deer in two or three years what ago. Awesome. And Wilson, yeah. yeah, he's our esteemed colleague. Yeah. <laughs> he totally left you hanging. Wilson's like, hello, hey, hello. no high hello. five. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Yark. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but uh, you know, using that that two to three years worth of data that you have on on a piece that yeah. kind of tells you what the what the deer are doing. Yeah, I know that's kind of what your approach has been. It's uh, laws of averages, I guess, is probably a good term to use, and I don't. You know, I don't hunt specific deer. I just try and shoot mature deer. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't get into hunting a, a specific deer because I think it kind of takes away from the whole. Right. Um, everything, and plus, I've really never seen a deer enough time to say, "Hey, I'm going to shoot that one." Right. You know, I mean, so but yeah, you know, the way they approach it is postseason scouting. Yeah. And once I I wanted to up my game up. We were talking on the way over here. Once I wanted to up my game up from shooting a hundred steer to something bigger, I didn't shoot anything for three years. I had to let a hundred steer walk, which was so hard because it was like, oh, it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, you know? Right. I was just in tune with them. And once I started really diving postseason scouting, putting in more work in, in February, you know, March and April and May uh, than any other time, uh, it took a few years, but. You know, things kind of played out, and right. it seems to be for me like a property. I wanted to, you know, on average two or three years till I actually can get an idea of what mature deer are doing naturally on like that what, property. Yeah, yeah. With, without the aids of you know, outside of the rut, you know, you got that small window of scrape activity. Right. But even that's inconsistent at best because you don't know what's on. You know, I want to know. I use cameras like they do. I set them all year. You know, two or three years for a in a bedding so, area. Yeah, 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 and see how they're coming, what time of year they're using it. You know, because you think, oh man, early season is going to be fucking insane, mm-hmm. and nothing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nothing. And then you're like, wow, November twentieth, so weird and strange. You know, and then you're like, because you find all these active beds. You know, they're you got the rubs in it, but then you got the cameras in the bedding, and in January it's nothing but does. Right. So when I'm scouting these areas, I'm finding all this, this hair. Oh, there's rubs and. Well, there's a small window in where a buck was actually using. That. Yeah, in, yeah, in the middle of November, so he doesn't necessarily live in there. So I'm trying to shoot a target a deer in October that might not be in that certain area. You know, he's somewhere else in a private or most likely right. private. You know, right. So, I mean, I'm you know how they use cameras and, and scouting is very similar to what I do. Right. For me, it's just you know, um, I started. When I started putting time in in the off season, I'm, and I'm not saying that if you do your scouting in the summer that it's not helpful, right? Like, not saying that at all. If that's the time that you have to go out and learn something, by all means, go learn something. I just, I just feel like I think what they're saying is, is that that you're you're killing this year's deer, and you know, like you were saying, like March, you're, yeah, April, you're, you're killing and, them in your May. postseason scouting, but yeah. you're you're shooting them in shooting, October, right? And what I've noticed is as I I started making more of a an effort to find the time because you know times we've mentioned it a hundred times here the three of us it's like you know it's hunting is third on our list of priorities because we are family guys and jobs and stuff like that but i pri- i've begun to prioritize at least locally getting out and scouting in march april may as much as i can and really kind of probably focused on it more the past two years than i ever have and all of a sudden like uh, no surprise I'm figuring out where bigger, yeah. like I've had the biggest deer, and I've not killed one of them yet, right? That's the next step. But I've located the biggest deer that I've ever located inconsistently, you yeah. know what I mean, on public pieces, yeah. right? Um, he mentions, you know, hanging cameras and, and, and bedding. I think one of, the, one of the challenges, at least for me, is a lot of these public pieces that I'm hunting, it's not like maybe in the western part of the state. There are some larger tracks, but like I'm more finding smaller tracks of public that are slightly overlooked because it's not, 800 acres right and so it's getting overlooked because people are like oh this is just a little 60 acre chunk and it and it's a swamp or something like that or just like really crappy you know not next to any agriculture so people don't really want to pay it any attention 
So they may not actually be betting there. So that's the one difference for me is the, excuse me, is going back to what we were talking about a few segments ago is that instead of putting the cameras in, in betting in those areas, because I might not actually find the buck betting on that property, mm-hmm. right? Cause they might not be betting on that property, find doe betting. Right. But what I'll do then is I'm looking for terrain features that they're going to consistently use. And then I'm hanging my cameras in those places and then I'll let them out mm-hmm. until basically run the full season until their antlers drop. And then I'll, and then I'll pull them and then I'll go back and look to see, who was where and look when over, were they there? Look all over those twenty pictures in an SD card. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, it's like as soon as the season starts and you pick your bow up, in your your mentality switches. You're like, I'm no longer scouting. I'm killing. You right, know, I'm hunting. My season I'm never ends. Harvesting. So how can it start? Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Ooh. My season never ends. But it's like, <laughs> dear you, yark. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> But it's like guys. People are listening, guy. going like, "What the hell are yeah. they talking about?" It's like it's who even like, cares anymore? Yeah. He's a youngin, so right the uh, the hipsters, right? <laughs> Yarksters, Yarksters. <laughs> All right, go Wilson. No, I'm just saying it's like guys in our area. They're they're like, "Oh, I bumped a deer going out, but it was a small six. Well, that small six was the deer going to shoot next year, and right. now you just educated you educated them, yeah. and so. If you're bumping deer, be it does, fawns, or anything on the way out or in, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. right. But it's, and it's tough because some areas, like I hunt, I got to get out like 25 minutes before the sun sets because otherwise I can't get out. Like, and I made a mistake where I'm in my tree, like long, I had a coyote call and I'm like trying to get the deer out of the field because I have no way to get out. But those. Just walk out. Yeah. I'm saying, what's up? <laughs> I'm her. <laughs> But like I'm hunting, I'm in an area where I can hunt, find a specific deer, and I'm hunting that specific deer. But it doesn't change my mindset on all the other bucks that are traveling in that area because those are the bucks I'm going to hunt the the next year. Right. I think that's a a big thing. Is just I understand what you're saying with like when you're bumping a deer, you're 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 doing it wrong. I think especially if you're hunting in season in a known area, right? I think the one thing that I've started to maybe adapt a little bit more, and I actually picked this up from Zach. Was that no? You don't want, and I'd be curious about your opinion on this. No, oh. you don't want to. <laughs> no, you don't want to bump deer, right? That's not your goal, right? It's, you, you don't want to do that if you can help it. But one of the things that he mentioned, and it never really dawned on me and, until he said it. But he was like, "That's the best intel you can possibly get on a buck if you know if you think you know where a buck's living and you can get in close to him and, and you accidentally bump him. You don't want to do that, right?" But that is a huge piece of intel for you because well, I think it, he operates under the mind that well, if you're deer will daylight, yeah, and you can visual. But if you're bumping exit and then well, in the dark, yeah. then you don't know what the hell you're. Yeah, bump. that's when it's really tough. you know. Okay. Or you 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 like you said bumping deer, it it's not the end of the world. But if you're hunting the same piece and you bump deer on a consistent basis, you you need to change up your <laughs> your access and. <laughs> Go zig when you should have zagged or something. It's time to make a change. You know, but like in in Zach's thing, when you bumping big deer, it's it's fine. Most people think it's the end of the world, and it's not. You know, it's over. I give up. Yeah, I'm I'm done. Yeah, right. You know, and and it's not because that deer was better there for a specific reason, and he got away. That means reinforced that that spot was working. Yeah, so go back. You know, there you go. Boom. You know, and it's a bedding area. You might not have specific bed, but it's a a bedding area that you could use. But right. Like I said, at two a.m. If you're if you're bumping deer, you know that's it, it, not good. You know, or three a.m. Whatever your your entry mode is, right? You know, I got a couple early spots. So right. when I say two a.m., I I actually mean it wow. to your listeners, not just saying that because it sounds cool. I it sounds it. cool. Yeah, it actually do it. It's just the benefit <laughs> that it sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I hunted a new spot, I got in, um, I and I shot two does. I was like really pumped. Like all these does, I'm gonna whack. I shot two does. I was there super late processing cleaning deer getting them out i hunted two days later and it was like nothing had changed mm-hmm. nothing had changed well that's the deer i shot this year that, that six pointer um i shot him out of a bed you know and the next day i was just just still hunting it was windy still looking for him yeah, no, my deer die in sight. So. <laughs> no, yeah, right now. yeah. <laughs> you see me shoot today, so <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, those actually another buck bedded a smaller six pointer. It's actually on my. Uh, I think I put it up on YouTube. A buck bedded the same exact bed 
I shot my buck at him. And I literally sat in that buck's bed. I shot him. I sat in it, laid in it, looked at him what he was doing. I'm like, all right, this is what they're doing. You know? So, I, you know, if I didn't kick that buck up out of that bed or shoot him, I probably still would have went and sat in his bed and everything else got mm-hmm. intel like Zach said. And I was all over that place, gutting, you know, here he ran like yep. 50 yards, but dragging it. And Ricky came up. The next day, his deer was bed literally in the same exact bed. And there's people listening to this that probably won't even believe that yeah they're like there's no way yeah right i see things about bumping deer and you're never going to see that deer again but yeah i mean i think it depends on you know how much pressure that deer has had that season at that point has he had other negative experiences in that bedding area yeah you know did he because i mean did he smell you and see you and hear you plus you know what i mean it's like like in in wilson's defense you he hunts in small woodlots. They're going to get bumped out from time to time. That's they can't escape that because yeah. first of all, they grew up in that. It's nothing yeah. new to them. Like oh, there's. Well, I have some spots I hunt specifically because I know they're going to get bumped by, like the school bus and the kids yep. running mm-hmm. off the school bus and they get bumped out. Mm-hmm. They'll run 150 yards. You're 35 minutes, hour later, they go back. Yep. You know, and I've watched them. They just stand there. Or they sit down and watch. Yep. Kids are gone. They're gone back. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So. You know, when we say, you know, you're you're killing your buck in March, April, March, April and May, you know, I, I don't want to be misleading here and saying that, you know, because one of the things is I think when people do their scouting in the winter, you know, they prioritize, don't over prioritize what you learn during that time. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you also don't know when that sign was made, especially if it's a new piece to you. You know what I mean? It's like when you find some rubs, was it made when they were shed in velvet? Was it made when they were it was? pre-rut was it made during rut post-rut like you don't know when was that scrape made when was it opened when did it go cold did it reopen later you know it's like there's all does he like tacos does he like tacos you know does he like guacamole or not you know it's like you know so i don't want to mislead people in thinking that like that's the end all be all i think it's the marriage of of laying the groundwork of like knowing that deer like to use an area and then it goes back to the three-week thing that we talked about before how are they changing over the course of the season? And where is the hot sign being laid down? Because you found that sign, yeah. right? But when was it, when were those specific areas hot? Yeah. And that's what you want to find. And that's what, you know, that's why whenever you hear guys like, you know, yourself, you know, and I'm, I'm pointing to Greg for those out there listening that can't see the point, you know? You can point this way too, okay. No. Okay, here we go. Do this. <laughs> you know, whether it's you or whether it's Dan or whether it's, you know, whomever, right? It's... It's it's the combination of what you learned previously, and that whenever you're hunting, you're also always scouting. Yes, you know what I mean, and you're looking for running that and gunning, sign. running and gunning, just being um, obser- observant. Like you you go into the woods with people, and you you walk out, and you're like, did you see this or did you see it? They're well, clueless. They're they're totally clueless they're so to what's going on. To my ladder, I'm, I'm going to my tree. You know yeah, what I mean? That's like, it. Well, and when you're trying to kill a specific buck, that's even it gets even worse because then you forget about. Everything else. Everything else. I yeah. wouldn't know about that. Sorry. Right. I can't. <laughs> I can't relate to that. I can't relate to the single book thing. Yeah. The. Uh, but I mean, that was something that you and I were were talking about when, as we were driving over here. Again, was just a lot of driving. We did do a lot of driving. We did like a lot a, of talking in like a twenty minute drive. Yeah. <laughs> I rode quietly by myself, yeah. stuffing your face with a sandwich. Right. <laughs> but uh, we were, you know, discussing that where. It, as we were talking about hunting more terrain and, and making that more of a priority, because again, mm-hmm. not hunting the same deer year over year, you know, at least I'm not able to in most of the places and that I'm hunting. Like certain areas, you know, we talked about the, the three window and even what Aaron was saying about using the intel from the camera. There's, you know, yearly scrape areas, yearly rub areas. You, yeah. I got some spots. It's, you know, every year it's like, I'm going to get it. And each year it changes. It's never the same. It's close. It's within that last week of October. Sometimes it's October 25th. Sometimes it's October 31st. You go into a section of woods. I mean, I've gone there. There's no rubs. All right, I'm going to go hunt somewhere else. I won't hunt there the next day. I'll go back the following day, and the place is tore up with rubs. It's like, I missed <laughs> right. it. And it's like, because there's, there's so many rubs there. It's like, there has to be some daylight activity because there can't be 60 rubs in, in this little, you know, corner All of this field. between like. Yeah, in know, the cover of darkness. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. it's impossible. It's like, it, it, this, this is going like 10 years. It's like. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. And right. it's such a high traffic area. I don't even want to put a camera in it because I know it's going to get stolen and that's going to make me angry. Right. So it's like, and it, it, I've had so much time invested in it. I don't even want to put a camera in it because it's kind of cheating. It's like, right. all right, I started this you know, a Sands decade ago. Camera. I was like, yeah. 
I'm going to, it might take me another 20 years, but sooner or later, I'm going to kill. I mean, these are big rubs, big marsh deer. So right. there's some monsters out there. It's like, I want to do this on my own. You know, I don't want no yeah. surveillance, electronic surveillance. I just want to do this, you know, because I kind of. Well, you've, you put your you've put your time in. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's like, and at this point, to be honest, it's like, I don't know how much a camera would even help you at that yeah. point. Like, I know when it's happening, you just got to catch that. And it's literally, it's a 24 to 36 hour window when most of these rubs happen. It's like. Right. Well, I mean, have you ever, is it, did you, and I'm sure you have, but like, have you been able to kind of map it back to like a weather event or nope. anything like that? It's just bucks on the feet moving for getting ready for the rub. Hmm. And it's, it's, and it, it doesn't, when it's hot, you know, usually it's, if it's hot, I, I can almost pretty much bet it's, it's nighttime activity. Right, right. You know, and, and it's always some years or, or more like this year, those three distinct rubs, like big rubs. They all had different characteristics. So there's three good deer coming through this one section. I hunted for a day and a half, nothing. I took like two days off and I came back and it was like, I didn't see a deer or nothing for <laughs> right. you know, my little all day sit and it was hot and like nothing came through. Then you see a squirrel and it's like, and I come back and rubs were everywhere, scrapes everywhere. And it's like, so it turned on. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I missed it. And, and then it just, it's dead. It's I'm dead. It, it's just, they, they're coming through there catching those because there's doe bedding and they're just coming through to this little it's a overgrown be i guess soft edge overgrown field you know and then the woods kind of just goes to this bedding and it just gets tore up right. you know and i know guys that hunt it and say the same thing you know and i know some guys that killed some really good deer there i actually found that spot you know by eavesdropping <laughs> listening to people talk at a store hey. and i'm like i know that woods and the guy's like dude there's rubs are there and that one corner and i'm like i know that corner yeah, I was like, I know that woods, and there's only a few corners. So I checked it out. I was like, holy shit, there's rubs everywhere. Right. So, and the one guy was like, yeah, I, I pulled a 140 off there, you know, uh, right. you know, big sub, mature eight, the late October. So I'm like, oh. so I'm not the only one doing it, you know, right. hunting as well. So, right. but it's, you catch those moments, if you, uh, little sections of time, yeah. it, it rubs when they go hard horners or certain spots, they rubs or apple trees with scrapes, little community scrapes yearly you know rubbing yeah. areas rubbing stations posts whatever signpost rubs right you know scraping areas and then it, it, everything's just based on time and that's yeah. where cameras can definitely help out with the time mapping the time, <laughs> time stamping yeah. time yeah exactly time I, stamping those because i had rub a rub line i hunted for years and i decided to put a camera i never seen a deer nothing worth shooting because giant rubs bullshit it's a little buck yeah fucking right. it up at night and i'm like hmm. and i mean these some of these trees are like you know from years of rub it's yeah. just a year and a half old you just know deer tearing it up just tearing it up and 20 minutes at one tree just yes. on all sides exactly <laughs> working all around the tree and i'm like yep. wow and you look at the rub you're like how does you know a deer that big but like you said he, he works his way all around the tree so you think it's massive things and he stands <laughs> up and goes down rack. yeah it's like, yeah and it's nothing it's a, a nice deer but nothing i want to shoot so i'm like I literally spent like four years hunting that rub line outside of a doe bedding area for nothing. First of all, it was all nighttime activity. Right. And it wasn't something worth shooting. So it's like, hmm. Camera would have been helpful right there. Yeah. Four years ago, camera would have been nice. <laughs> right. So the, the the net net here is that when we're talking about, you know, killing your deer in March, April, and May, it's like, yeah, you're seeing a lot of sign, which is great because you should be doing that inventory and that, but it's really that coupled with the understanding of when exactly was that sign laid down. Yes. And then, using tools like a camera to figure out who was actually laying yes. laying that down, especially whenever you get into bedding areas where you don't want to be intrusive and, and, and you let that kind of sit over time, over Use those the cameras year. as tools, you know, yeah. like we talked about earlier. Yep. You know, they're, they're not a toy, they're a tool. That's right. It's not All a right. cat toy. Yep. <laughs> it's not catnip. Yeah, it's a cat right. tool. So I think that that, uh, that wraps up that segment, and we will move on to the next. All right, we're joined here again by, uh, or we're listening to uh, a segment with Aaron Warbritton of The Hunting Public, and what he's talking about here is really taking a, a piece that maybe you may, maybe you're unfamiliar with or a new public piece and how you go about starting to to break it down and really from a topography perspective, like when you're doing your online scouting, where do they start from that perspective to get started? So let's uh, listen to the clip and then we'll discuss it. Right. So when you're, when you start doing your scouting, how much, especially, you know, you know, when we're talking about public land, how much of what you're doing, even before you get into the timber is based on 
on maps and looking at, at, at topo maps and, and, and stuff like that. Are you guys getting into that as well to start to really kind of pinpoint areas? Cause <clears throat> I know, you know, that the public land areas you're hunting are probably tens of thousands of acres, right? And it's just, yeah. you could take a lifetime to try to scout all that. So how are you guys kind of narrowing down your choices before you get there? And are you? Well, that's a good question. And yes, that's the first step. Um, you've got to find um, a good resource online to, uh, to scout, um, cyber scout, as we call it, and, and pull up Google Earth, Google Maps. Um, Powderhook.com is a great resource. A lot of the state agencies, the DNRs and uh, conservation agencies and so forth have maps on their websites that uh, actually show you property borders and boundaries and stuff. I think Onyx Maps also sells a chip system that you can put into your GPS and computer to where you can see all of the updated public land boundaries. That's the number one thing, being able to see those boundaries so online so that you know which land you can and can't hunt, obviously. Right. Um, but uh, the next thing it, that we do when it comes to scouting is we'll check off all the areas that are easily accessible. So say, for instance, you've got one big block, it's 5,000 acres, and uh, roads are surrounding that block, and uh, there's a few trails going through it, like bike trails and, and whatever else. I'm going to go through that map. I'm going to mark all those parking lots, I'm gonna. I'm going to mark those trails, any like ag fields that have access trails leading straight to them. I'm gonna locate all those on a map first, and I, I won't necessarily ignore those spots, but I'm not gonna pay uh, attention to them firsthand. When you're scouting 5,000 acres and you're trying to find a place to hunt, uh, you want to deduce that down to as small uh, of an acreage as you can before you go in to scout. Because it's impossible to scout 5,000 acres in just a couple of trips. I mean, it'd take you 10 years to figure it out. <laughs> right. So you look for you look for the highest um, pressured areas. And those are, I mean, those are very predictable. People are way more predictable than deer. And deer pattern people, for sure. So uh, you look for those areas, look for those trails, mark them off, and then you start to look for your typical terrain, you know, your funnels, your, your bedding locations, uh, your thick areas, your habitat changes, um, food sources, so on and so forth. You, I mean, you don't do anything different there from an aerial scouting standpoint that you would on private land, except for the fact that you're targeting those pressured areas first and you're basically marking them out. So back to my 5,000 acre example, if you have 5,000 acres there. We may only be scouting on two or 300 acres of it right. and just going from one spot to the next until we find the, the location where no people go and the mature bucks are there most right. of the time. All right. So I think, you know, during the course of this, uh, DIY session that we've got going on here, um, we've, we've danced around a lot of the a lot of what Aaron kind of talked about from access to terrain and, 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 and things of that nature. But here, what he's you know really kind of, I think getting at is, you know, the question really being, you know, if someone's starting out on a piece of public and maybe they don't know much about it, you know, where do you begin? Right. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're talking about some tracts of land that might be several thousand acres or whatever, where do you, where do you get started? He mentioned a couple of things of how he marks off places that he's not going to pay much attention to. And, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. So for you, like, you know, how are you kind of approaching a new piece of, of ag land? Do you, do you take a similar approach or a similar? And, um, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, approaches are very similar, except on some of the easy access points. I think we touched on this on the last podcast or podcast before, that some of these easy access points, there's good betting usually. It could, not usually, but there could but be can good. be. Yes. Yeah. There could be good betting nearby where a buck is watching that parking lot or that or that trail in. So I don't necessarily overlook those areas. Right. I'll look, I'll overlook the ag, not overlook, you know, um, 
mature hardwoods for the most part with that are flat. Mm-hmm. Um, even if there's food, I just it's I'm I'm focused on terrain, you know, and, and bedding. Right. Food is uh, I would say secondary because food constantly changes, especially in ag. It's right. constantly rotating. You know, if it's corn one year, beans the next. You know, how those deer use that piece of uh, property is different, but terrain's always going to you know dictate deer yeah. movement. Yeah. In one way or another. So. Habitat and food will change over time. Yes. Food more frequently. Yes. Habitat more yeah. slowly. Yeah. And pressure, you know, will, will constantly different, you know, change, but, you know, deep cuts don't change. Right. Points don't change. Saddles don't change. So right. I'm more of a topography hunter and I try and find bedding located off that. Like I said, I'm not a big food hunter. Right. Um, I'm actually not really interested in food until I actually locate big buck sign, you know, and, and some good beds. And then food is way down on the list. Right. Um, so, but yeah, there's, you know, all very good points with Aaron, Aaron talked about, but um, I don't necessarily over, you know, think anything's overlooked. Right. And I think, you know, he's, he's making some generalities yes. for, for people to understand like, well, if I'm going to start, where do I start? Yes. Right. And I think there's are some really good rules of thumb. And I think what we're saying is, is that, you know, you can nuance this a yes. little bit, you know, to make sure you're not um, you're not missing an opportunity, yes. right? Because I think, you know, I think this becomes really critical. It's I look at it a couple different ways, right? If I'm scouting my local public lands, right, um, depending on how big they are, right, I'm close to them. So I may look at places that I typically wouldn't look at if I were traveling somewhere, right? Because I have more time. I can invest more time there because there might be a little spot, even though I know maybe that it's easy to access and it might get, there might be hunters there at some point. It still may be worth me looking at because it might be a puzzle piece. I need to hunt a deer somewhere else, right? I might hang a camera there because I might want to know going back a couple episodes you know, that we are a couple of segments ago that we talked about hanging a camera. Cause I really want all the data there because I want to start to backtrack and yes. figure out where else is that deer possibly killable. Right. Yes. And so, cause if there's going to be pressure there, there's going to be a, there's going to be a, a secondary kind of scrape mm-hmm. line potentially yeah. that's going to happen once the pressure happens. And I want to start to figure out where that deer's starting point is. So I might use that to my advantage. Yeah, Or it could be like, like doe bedding. Like most people go into an area that they'll find the rubs and scrapes. And they'll hunt early season when if you say you run a camera or you hunt it a few times, that might be a late season spot that bucks cruising is late season bedding because it's just you know, the sort of thermal cover that's mm-hmm. around, you know, or pressure somewhere else. They habitually bed in, in this, you know, they yard up, I guess, right. uh, so to speak. So them small spots are actually great spots. You know, and I think, you know, I've, we've talked about this numerous times, the best spot, I ever had deer wise, you know, big. I mean, I shot, end up shooting a big deer, never found it, but literally everybody parked and walked right by this yeah. little overgrown field. It was, you know, maybe 150, 200 yards. Everyone to go deep. And that spot, Halloween was amazing. Right. The day before Halloween, the day after was insane. And then it was nothing. There's right. a three day, you know, two to three day window. You know, it was just, Un- unbelievable right and uh, i mean in th- the three years i hunted it i've seen so many big deer in you know day walking and actually big deer i'm trying to climb down out of my tree and i got giants walking underneath me and it's like and it's like where did they come from they're just like magically right. fell out of the sky <laughs> somehow but right you know, some of them small wood lots can can be great but that's just a, a time thing you learn over a course of time right because i think what aaron's really kind of driving at is for like a person who's going to have some limited time yes right it's like you got to prioritize your time mm-hmm. right and that, for me that's why like what he's talking about for me really applies to when i go out of state and hunt because yes. i typically whether i'm going to ohio to hunt a new piece or like this year i'm going to iowa to hunt a, hunt a new piece you know i made a trip out to iowa spent two and a half days scouting so i wasn't going to be able to cover the entire Yes. 25,000 acres or whatever. So I had to kind of look on a map and say, all right, where are the parking areas? Let's just take a half mile circumference around mm-hmm. the parking areas and know that that's probably not where I want to be. Cause anyone who goes in is yes. probably going to make it about that far. It's a little different in Iowa because there's low pressure just in yes. general. Right. So it's like, you don't have to play it quite as safe necessarily as you do in, in Pennsylvania or in New Jersey. 
but I'm still trying to look at getting beyond where a typical hunter yeah. is going to go to. And then beyond that, what are my terrain features that I'm going to want to focus on? And then I'll go to those places and scout those yeah. and spend and, my time there. And like you and I talked uh, as well, and I, I talked to Rick up in Long Island about it, is you have to play to your strengths too. Like I think we just mentioned this a little while ago. Don't yeah, a couple segments your, ago yeah, about the, me changing up my tactics. Yeah, don't change your yeah. If you're comfortable, if you're a food, like I got, I know friends that hunt foods, you know, Bo. He's a big big woods food guy. He's always he, looking he's, for the food. Yeah, yep. I, it doesn't work for me. You right. know, I, I, I just scratch my head like it. It doesn't make sense. I got guys in South Jersey that focus on food. That focus, they follow the acorns, stuff like that, and they kill really nice deer. It doesn't compete with me for right. some reason. I I just don't. I've never been able to make it work for me. Right. You know, so when you go out of state and, and you're even just out of your area, out of your comfort zone. Hunt how you're comfortable. If you've had some success in, in one form or another, you know, on a, a few good deer hunting a certain way, try and take that at, with you because that's your bread and butter. Right. Going out of state sometimes isn't the best time to, I'm going to try new tactics. <laughs> right, right. Because, like, not only is the terrain and, like, the habitat and, like, the area kind of unknown to yeah. you, but then you start throwing in, like, unknown tactics, approaches methods, or yeah. whatever, where it's like, okay, now I really don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and I'm just throwing shit against the wall and hoping something <laughs> sticks. You know, <laughs> And sometimes, <laughs> that's, that you know, it's, that's needed, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. You know, right. like, you got to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And some people, their their strength isn't map reading. Right. You know, and I got friends that, that can't read a map to save their life. Mm. But you put them in the woods, they can find deer. Right. They're just, that is, they don't have the mental capacity maybe or, or the desire to, to scout. Some people just learn maps. differently too. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like some people were visual spatial people where it's yep. like visual things make sense to them. Yep. Right. You so give them a top of map, they don't understand it. You give them an aerial photo, like, ah, and they get it. And it's like, it's the same fucking map. Yeah. yeah, but this is changing the color scheme of it. Yeah. And it, it makes all the difference. Them. Yep. 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 So I think, you know, yes, I think everything Aaron mentioned here is correct. And I yes. think I think this is one of those instances where no matter where you live, what region yes. you hunt in, this is an effective approach yes, exactly. to try to figure out how to find some of the best hunting True. on a piece of public land. Yes. It, it definitely follow his advice. Um and you'll you know, it'll it, should pay off it'll put you in, it'll put you in a good starting spot yes, too yes. not going to guarantee because i mean the second part of this is i think is what we just talked about a little <laughs> bit right is that you need to be kind of doing this in march april and may yes. to kind of set up your game plan you know what mm -hmm. i mean um and then with that you'll have a better understanding of what you're up against think about the pressure what your access points are where the easy access is that's the areas that hunters are going to most likely gravitate toward. So now you can focus on areas outside of that, yes. right? And then couple it with your in-season as you're hunting, like your hunt scouting, right? And finding where that hot sign is. So you're running now gun. putting the piece together, running gun. <laughs> the way you're putting your pieces together as far as I saw this sign in March. It was laid down this time of year because I'm just now seeing yes. it. That means that's where you want to be, mm -hmm. you know. So, all right, I think we covered this pretty well, and I think Aaron covered it really well. Yeah. So, not not a lot to add there. So, I think we can move on to the next segment. All right, this segment we we're still uh, uh, with Aaron Warburton here, and what he is talking about in this segment is, you know, hunting hot sign or how hot sign plays into setup, especially on pre scouted, you know, pieces of uh, of public that you might be on or just pre scouted ground, regardless of private or public. And then also some overlooked uh, sign that he feels is one of the most overlooked and maybe one of the most important pieces of sign that uh, that people misread or don't use. So we'll hear Aaron and then we'll uh, discuss. How much does hot sign play into where you're going to ultimately set up a stand location versus inventory or prior year knowledge that you have? How much does hot sign play into that? Well, um, in most situations, we're going in areas that we have previously scouted. So, if we see, for example, a rub line or a bunch of scrapes or something at the tip of a bedding area, close to one of those trees that we're wanting to hunt, we're going to be pretty optimistic for that spot because we know that a, a buck of some size has been using that particular bedding area often. Now, a lot of folks, I mean, here in Iowa, we got, we got a lot of bucks. Uh, we got a lot of deer, period. And right. public land hunting, hunting is good. So uh, they leave a lot of sign. Even the year and a half, two and a half year old bucks, I mean, heck, they probably leave more sign than the mature bucks do. Right. 
So you really got to be able to determine um, the best kind of sign to be reading. And most folks look at rubs, and we do that, and scrapes. Um, but another thing that, that I've started doing more this year and paying attention to is tracks. And that that is probably the most important sign that a big buck leaves for you to look at. Uh, a huge track can only mean one thing. And obviously you need to be able to, to check out that track and be able to tell if it's sliding in the mud or if it's, you know, good hard ground, flat surface, if the deer's running, if it's walking. But if you find a good flat spot, for example, that's got fairly good consistent soil, and you can tell that that deer is, is walking by looking at the track, and you can if you look at enough of them, you'll be able to start measuring those tracks, you know. And and I promise you, you can tell a big difference between you know, a four or five year old bucks track in most situations than you can with a, uh, a young buck or a doe, you know, just, just by the way, those tracks set up and, and, and they're all different. I mean, they're, as you, as you know, I'm sure you can look at one mature buck that's five years old, that's huge bodied with tiny antlers. And the next one has a small body with huge antlers, you know, same goes for tracks. So they're, they're not all created equal, but for the most part, mature bucks leave big tracks. All right. So we heard Aaron talk about, you know, we've alluded to in a couple different segments, Greg and I have about, you know, how hot sign plays into, running you know, gun. running gun plays into, uh, <laughs> and people are probably so yeah. tired of hearing us say that because I've been saying it. Um, you know, how, it, how it plays into your ultimate setups and how it influences where you're, where you're going to hunt. And, you know, and I'll just kind of start and then Greg jump in, but you know, what Aaron's talking about, you know, or I think what, let me put it this way. I think the trap that a lot of guys get in, and we talked about a couple of segments ago, is which is like you go out and you do your kill a buck in March, April, and May. And we keep repeating that. And right. People are probably sick of hearing us say it, but it's like the honest truth, right? right? It's like you're going to kill your deer in the winter when you're doing your scouting. And then hot sign plays into that because that's when you're putting the live puzzle pieces together about when that sign was laid down specifically. And that's, you know, in, in the times of year you should be hunting in those specific areas. Um, I think a lot of folks do sign or do sign yeah do their scouting to do find sign. their sign <laughs> do sign man um and earmark a tree or a place that they want to hunt now if you have historical information on a property by all means if you got a spot that's dynamite and is usually dynamite but well, yeah sure hunt it you mm -hmm. know what i mean but i think a lot of times and i'm guilty of this too and the reason i'm bringing this up is because i've really screwed the pooch last year on a on, on the possibility of a really quality animal for Pennsylvania last year, but not, um, by not living this idea. And, you know, essentially, you know, I had a spot that I had picked out. I liked it. I saw some really good deer from that, from this tree. I had made an observation while I was in the tree, got down, went and assessed it, found all kinds of hot sign. Like I found a primary scrape area that was just tore up. I found, a bunch of rubs that still had shavings on the ground and it was super windy, which meant that rub was made probably that night mm -hmm. you know, before I got into the tree that following morning. And I had a destination spot that I wanted to get to because there was a tree that I wanted to hunt and I bypassed that hot sign to get to that tree. You know, and that's a little bit what Aaron's talking about here is that, you know, yes, you make your plan, but that hot sign needs to be kind of taken into taken into consideration and not just run into the tree you're trying to get to. And we were talking about that earlier today where, but I think what you were saying was it also comes with experience and trusting yes. yourself, yes. which is what I wasn't able to do last year. A lot of people don't, they yeah. second guess themselves. And, you know, you're usually your first choice, you know, I find is your best choice most right. of the time. When you start second guessing, you know, you, you start doubting yourself and that's when, you know, things never seem to go well. You, know, right. you got to have no, you just got to know it when you see it. You, know, you got your, like you said, your tree picked out. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. Going out into the marsh, I'm like, I want to go out and hunt that tree. And come across, you know, an active scrape coming out as one. It's like, I've never seen a buck come out of there. And I'll bypass it. And it's right. like, I get to my tree and I don't see nothing. It's like, I should have hunted that scrape. Oh, that's exactly you know? what happened. And it's me. like, yeah. And I know better, but you get so focused i think on you know, a certain method or a tree or a sign you've seen last year 
do. But for me, being being able to interpret hot sign, uh, interpret hot sign, uh, mature about hot sign is different. You know, right. scrapes kind of, eh, but if you get like big tracks, you know, big tracks is important. Right. Big tracks usually means a big body. Right. Whether that is 120 inches or 180 inches, that's, you don't really know, but big body is, comes with age. Right. <laughs> so, age, we all know, is one of the main driving factors of you know, antler growth or antler so if, pot if, potential. If, if you're going into an area and you, you got big tracks that are, contradicting what your you know where your your stand might be you know you got to stop and think all right why is this track here and, and is it heading in this direction maybe is he, is he looping into this bedding area is it cruising you know is that track just in the middle open field you know or is it where a buck might come in or out a, a, a section you know uh, right. uh, some cover so you got to be able to look at that sign that say we'll go with tracks mm-hmm. and if it's going into thick cover and it's near where you want to be odds are that deer is probably bedded where you think he's bedded you know right but if it's fresh and, and you gotta be able to age it too because a lot of people will miss age tracks you know right. it and that comes with you know, experience years, yes yeah. you know and with rubs and scrapes right so but hot for me hot sign i do my best to interpret it to where I'm going, because it might be hot sign, but you look at if if it's a field edge near near a parking lot, it's nighttime hot. You sign. have so essentially what it is is that not all hot sign is created equal. Yes, just like not all sign is created yeah, equal if you in got general. Hot sign near a known doe bedding area in November, boom, you got your you know that's pretty good option. Yeah, you know yeah. early season, it's near some apples or or something along those lines. All right, that's a, a good option. But if it's in the middle of a field or a field edge where we all know nighttime <laughs> scraping activity is pretty 80% nighttime. Yeah. And yeah. if you're going in the morning and you look down your flashlight and you got this, you know, scrape that's, you can tell it's hit up you know, a few minutes ago you know, and you know where that deer is possibly going. You got a good chance to kill that deer that evening, not that day. Right. <laughs> Cause he's in that, he's already in his bed, already you know, in bed, right. or, or vice versa. You're, you're coming out and you see right. sign coming out, up, say into uh, a bean field, there's a scrape. Well, there's, sign going out and you know you, you got a tree back over here because you were hunting somewhere else then you, you might want to hunt you know your other location that right. you got, might have picked out and, and it's interesting because you know doing this podcast i've had the fortune of talking to a lot of good hunters you know and the one thing that's always i've noticed that's held true with guys who hunt mature deer and have success hunting mature deer is that not they don't none of them rate specific pieces of hot sign equally mm-hmm. with one another right like so for example you know, um, John Eberhardt, big yes. scrape, big scrape guy. You know what I mean? Um, you have some guys who are big, big rub guys. You know what I mean? Um, but the one thing that has been consistent is they all have give credence to a big track. Yes. Like that's the one like consistency. It's like you find that a big track, <laughs> you find a big, you find a big deer. Right. Yeah. And so then it becomes like, what are the pieces of secondary sign for you that are yes. important? Right. And what do you find? Right. Cause like, as you're mentioning, like that scrape that you just come across, depending on where it's at, might be good, right? Yes. If it's, as you said, near a field edge, probably not worth the time of day. Yeah. But if you're near a field edge and there's a bunch of thick stuff and you find a primary scraping area that has like six scrapes yeah. within like a 10-yard radius yeah. and like you know, a handful yard, of rubs. Yeah, 100 yards back off the field edge, you got something. You got something to work with there, you know what I mean? And so that's, I think, where interpreting hot sign. So it's not hot sign for hot sign's sake. Yes. You know what and, I mean? And for me, like I'm, uh, like I said, I'm primarily a bed hunter. So if I find hot sign, like at a food source, usually it goes in one ear out the other. Right. Um, because I don't necessarily hunt up or set up for food sources. Right. You know, and I've fallen guilty. Oh, these rub on a field edge. I'm going to stay here. I don't see squat because it's a field right. edge, right? And it's a heavy pressure state, and I know better. Right. And you know that last thirty minutes, you're like, it's going to happen, and nothing ever happens nothing for me, right. right? You know, so if I find hot sign um, on field edge, for the most part, I just leave it be, you know, right. unless it's I know that it's if it's entrance going into a bed that might be, you know, you know nearby, he might be you know, posted up off this, you know, field a couple hundred yards. I got a a bed or a possible bedding area. Right. And if I see that, all right, odds are he's probably coming out of that bed because 
the only other buck bedding I found is, you know, 300 yards this way. Why would he be going into the woods this way, you know? Right. And, you know, and that just comes with, you know, trusting your gut and, and taking a chance, yeah. you know? Um, waiting, you know, is is going to kill you, basically. You know, or hesitation and waiting. If you, you wait to hunt, hot sign, or sometimes you, you've waited too long. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, if you wait to hunt a perfect spot, you know, and you're bypassing hot sign, you know, trying to get to this other spot, you know, you, you, you're hesitating and waiting. So right. it, it's definitely uh, it's a coin toss, you know, but you have to take in consideration in, in the equation. You know, right. unless you know for a fact that, you know, because especially for me, I don't run a lot of cameras, you know, in, in spots I'm hunting that year. So tracks are very important to me. Right. Because you know, I know I got my, my bedding areas you know, already mapped out. Usually my scraping or rub lines are already on my Onyx maps. Like I know all right. that stuff. And if I cut a track, you know, going in, I'm, I want to hunt this back piece of property. And I'm getting a lot of big rubs or big tracks in the front. You know, I've scouted enough. I know that there might, you know, there is a bedding area closer to the thing. So he's bedded there for some reason be it pressure or food or whatever. So whatever. I'm like, all yeah. right, I'm going to backtrack. I'm going to go, you know, or tomorrow I'm going to hunt this, this evening bed over here. Right. Right. You know? And like, not to beat a dead horse, but it's like, like we said, you know, not all sign is created equal. And I'm sure there's someone out there listening. Cause like, we're, you know, I, you and I are of the same mind. If I find something that looks interesting along a food source yeah. in Pennsylvania, I'm probably not paying it much mind yeah. only other than to know that there's a, there's a buck around. Yes. Right. And even if I found a good track, along a food source all that's telling me is that there's a good buck around not hunting him not hunting him there right you go to some places and aaron i don't think would i don't want to speak for him but like those dudes don't hunt a ton of food sources right but i've watched some of their videos where they do get on a food source on a piece of public where they found really good sign that's maybe a low pressure maybe it's iowa that's a low pressure state right it's different in different places you know you got private you know some of that stuff don't necessarily come into play because you know i'm strictly a public land hunter right you know? so my methods are you know private guys probably listen to this you know their heads are exploding right because they see something different you know than i see be but different areas and different you know methods and it's, it's pressure why, <laughs> right it's why when you say you have to interpret it it's yeah. like what does it mean for the specific location you're hunting yes you know, you know what i mean if you're hunting you know, unpressured private land you got 1500 acres and it's managed you know, unpressured you know hot signs a lot different than you know pu- heavily you know pressured public land or even heavily pressured you know private land because there's some private lands that get you know a shit ton of you know pressure on it. Oh yeah, I mean the yeah. private land that we have back home, like the not not our most recent one, not the smaller piece, but like the larger farm that we have, like it hunts like public land. Yep. Just because of the amount of guys that yep. that hunt it in the adjacent pressure, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's it's the same as hunting, and it's it's a little less. I don't want to put it in the same category, but it's not what you would think of when you think of hunting private yeah. private land. So on that piece, I would give zero credence to most sign that I find yeah. around a food source other than to know that there are bucks in the yeah. area. And if I found a good track that there was a buck here, and then I would look at going back to reading Topo, like we've yeah. talked about, I'd go back and say, okay, well, how did he get here? Yes. You know what I mean? What's the most logical way for him to get here? What's the easiest way for him to get here? Because yeah. that's likely what he used. And then backtracking and say, okay, what's the most logical place for him to be betting if this is where he's traveling? Yes. And yep. then where are my interception points at? Yeah, and hot sign too goes with food. You know, if you got that's a form of a hot sign. Yeah, you got apples. That it's not just the stuff that deer are making. Yes, right. It's, you know, yeah, you know, you got apples. You got persimmons. You got oaks. When you know oaks are dropping, if you if I cut tracks, you know, in a little oak flat near bedding, I'll go get as close to that bedding as possible, and you know, hopefully I don't you know spook him getting in there because I know he's still going to come to. They're obviously feeding on these oaks. So I'll right. get a little aggressive on the bed. I know where he's bedded. You know, it's not necessarily rut sign or anything, but right. food sign trumps everything, you know, right. even during the rut, you know. Right, right. Because <laughs> you got the does. You know, hot yep. sign could be does. You see a, a big, you know, bunch of does cutting this, you know, cutting across those fields for some reason. They're they're heading in a direction for, for something. Right, you know? Yeah. So, all right, I think we covered uh, covered the hot sign issue here pretty thoroughly, and so we're going to go ahead and shut this one down. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Greg and Wilson for joining today, and also like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. 
And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you do those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.